Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Billy Botch, founder of Iconic, premium grass-fed protein drinks. At a young age, Billy was diagnosed with chronic health issues due to a poor diet. After consulting with his doctor, he was advised to take a pill. Not interested in that, Billy seeked a nutritionist who led him towards a holistic diet, which ultimately led him to creating Iconic as it is today. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Billy Botch of Iconic Protein. Billy, thank you so much for joining me today. Man, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I want to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, Cameron, I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, <laughs> um, nice. I had a great upbringing, honestly, man. I kind of grew up in the suburbs. I've got, I'm the oldest of three, so younger brother and sister, and uh, we're all pretty close. And, um, you know, a lot of my time was spent, like, going to summer day camps, uh, went to, um, you know, like a, a small private school growing up. And uh, a lot of my time was spent outdoors. We had woods behind our house. and My parents were pretty generous with letting us go play in the woods. And as long as we were home by dark, we, you know, we wouldn't get in trouble. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we knew we'd ride back, ride bikes around the neighborhood, cause some trouble here and there. But that was a lot of the uh, childhood, played sports, all that fun stuff. Nice. Growing up, would you say that you had an entrepreneurship mindset and say lemonade stands or Sony products or anything like that? I wasn't much of a lemonade drinker, Cameron, but I, okay. I definitely uh, was into cutting grass. I don't know why I loved cutting grass so much. <laughs> I was like a grass cutting machine. I uh, I just picked up a few yards on our street. My parents would, you know, pay me an allowance to cut our grass, and I actually really enjoyed it. There's something really gratifying about seeing a, an overgrown lawn in South Louisiana where it rains every other day and the grass just grows like a weed. And yeah. you go in, and it's like giving somebody a fresh haircut. You know, you go in, cut the grass, got that nice smell, you edge, you blow, you get everything pristine. And there's just gratification around that. Obviously, it's it's pretty sweaty in the summer, but For sure. I enjoyed it. And uh, I thought making money was really cool. Amazing. Was that on like a push mower or a, a yeah. rider? That was, was that uh, I had a push mower for a bit uh, at, at home that um, that my dad had, an old Toro. And then eventually, I think we upgraded to one of the self-propelled ones. So, you know, it, it was still like a, a kind of a handheld one. And uh, it was a small bag, so you'd have to empty it a lot, all that kind of stuff. And actually, my, my brother, uh, who's nine years younger, continued the legacy and really went up to me because uh, he came in and got one of those fancy riding lawnmowers that, like, yeah. turns on a dime <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, wait, I should have gotten that. That looks awesome. The way I cut my time. He's like, oh, yeah, man, I could do yard in 15 minutes. Meanwhile, wow. I was like an hour, hour and a half on a yard, but it was, it was fun. 
<laughs> That's awesome. So I saw you went to LSU in 2001. What did you study there? Go Tigers. Yep, I did. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I studied business management with a concentration in HR. And it's funny because you always hear people say, oh, I never even used my degree. It's worthless. And I would counter that for <laughs> with I've, I've yeah. definitely used my degree. I, I didn't think I, I was going to right when I got out of school with my first few jobs, but it's uh, it's come in handy. I will say most of the learning for me has not really come from what I picked up in college. The degree is kind of a, a check the box to get jobs in my mind. Yeah. I learned most of what I know just working for other business owners and um, starting this business and running it. For sure. With your time there, were you, were you involved with any athletics or clubs? Uh, on campus, I was uh, in a fraternity. I was pretty active uh, on that side of campus life and uh, joined one where I didn't know a single person. You know, I went to school in Baton Rouge, was from Baton Rouge. So I don't really see, did not see the appeal of the group system, but LSU's got a pretty big one. And, and I found a group that happened to be people from every other place besides Baton Rouge. And I thought it'd be cool to just kind of get to know other people rather than just kind of hang out with my same high school clique and the college, which I'm still friends with, but it was cool to kind of diversify your, your friend group and make friends with people from all over the U S for sure. Following college and prior to iconic then, uh, what kind of jobs were you working? Oh gosh, quite a diversity. It started in college. And when I was in okay. college, I actually put together and promoted, uh, ski trips. And, um, I've got a guy that is still a good friend of mine and mentor, uh, Steve Smolenski that, uh, runs this really large company that, uh, puts together co college ski trips and spring break trips. And I went on one of these never seen snow, right. Except for maybe one time growing up. And I went on one when I was 18 as a, I think as a freshman in college, loved it, had a great time in Breckenridge, Colorado, thought this was like the greatest thing in the world and asked if I could help organize, uh, my fraternity the next year and you know he said sure and then i got involved in, in that and then organizing it for the whole campus and that led into uh some work with him after school uh when i got yeah. out of college but also um just really enjoyed i mean these trips grew until i think it's like 2,000 people now that go from lsu it's like one of the largest wow. trips in the country uh, and it's a whole week of events um and then outside of that uh, you know, I, I worked in the service industry, worked at a restaurant. My dad's a CPA. So he had a bunch of clients growing up. I worked for all of his clients. One had a furniture store. Uh, one had a Christmas store where they sell ornaments all year round. One had a construction, yeah. company. one had a restaurant. This guy from Italy had all these restaurants. And so I really kind of got the feel of like entrepreneurship is always a reality for me because like everybody I grew up working for was an entrepreneur. So I didn't think that was some like hurdle. I just, that was just how the world worked. Uh, so those were all the, the jobs in college and out. And then when I got out of college, I actually got into um, working for Homeland Security, funny enough, because remember, this is like not too long after 9-11. I'm feeling yeah. really patriotic, want to do something for my country. So I applied for to a few different government agencies, scored a job um, in Baton Rouge for an agency that trains first responders on how to respond to biological terrorism incidents and worked in kind of like marketing their courses and putting that together and, and whatnot and enjoyed it. Um, and then I got chained to a desk for a bit and kind of lost interest in it because the first part of the job, I was kind of out at trade shows and stuff. Um, yeah. then I went and worked in oil and gas for about five years and, uh, enjoyed getting to know consumer product, consumer product industry, 
got some experience calling on big retail chains, some mom and pop chains as well. Uh, really got formally trained in sales and uh, they, you know, great company, uh, learned a lot, made some money. And while I was there, that entrepreneur, not entrepreneurial itch started to, to, to come back and I yeah. wound up starting um, a small company, kind of a side hustle while there, throwing New Year's parties every year uh, because I just got tired of riding around New Orleans looking for a party on New Year's. And so a buddy of mine and I decided we'd throw our own party and we'd make it part philanthropy uh, for a muscular dystrophy association. And, um, you know, we thought 10, 20 of our friends would show up. Well, 300 people signed up to come. <laughs> So we wound up throwing a large party and uh, that, that company went about eight years and it grew to about a 2000 person uh, New Year's party in New Orleans. So that was pretty fun. And wow. part of that actually seed funded Iconic. And all the while of doing that, I actually started invested in, into multifamily real estate in Baton Rouge and New Orleans and grew that with a good friend of mine from high school. Um, and, and that's a few different apartment buildings now that, that we've grown and he operates that business. Um, and, and once I started, you know, I had the new year's party going, have the real estate, then I had the idea for iconic and I, was like, yeah, I, think, I think I'll just yeah. quit now <laughs> and so, do all these things. So that was yeah. my, my impetus to, to go do this full time. So for example, for these new year's parties being once a year, how would you monetize and like live off of the business model that you created for this? Well, Cameron, it's funny because I, I wanted to do that because I had a blast doing it. And this was kind of leveraging my experience putting together uh, and helping organize these college ski trips uh, because it was really more than a ski trip. It'd be a whole week of parties and events and bar crawls and stuff like that. So I said, okay, like, you know, I could throw a New Year's party in my sleep. It's only one night. And uh, <laughs> we did that. And, and, you know, you can make money. The challenge is most of the money goes to the venue because you're paying yeah. them for alcohol and the space. So there's 50% if you're, let's say you're charging hundred bucks a ticket, 50 bucks of it's going for that at minimum. Then you've got yeah. ticket processing fees and, um, and entertainment you're booking and everything else. So it, the margins aren't great on those types of events typically. And mm -hmm. so we said, okay, how can we expand into other events? And so we tried out doing events. Um, we did a fourth fest uh, kind of style weekend event in Austin for a couple of years, uh, which was like running out a party barge and doing, um, you know, a bar crawl and having some other events. And uh, I also realized these are pretty high liability events. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. There's a lot of partying yeah. going on. And while they're a ton of fun, uh, it's it's challenging to kind of sustain that like rhythm of like, okay, we're going to have events all year and we're going to make a business out of this. So it really remained a side hustle where we said, okay, let's just have fun with this. We'll throw one really awesome event each year. And, uh, and then we wound up, you know, you get into your thirties and most of the people go into a new year's party that costs one to $200 and you, you can have all you can drink. It's typically people that are like in their, I would say early to mid twenties. So mm -hmm. you start to kind of lose touch with that, with, you know, with the people going to the events. And, uh, and then I kind of lost interest in doing it and so did my partner. So we shut it down, but we had a fun okay. time doing it. Yeah, for sure. So iconic pro team came around 2011. What inspired you to create Iconic and move into the CPG space? Yeah, I mean, I have no business running a nutrition brand. I, uh, <laughs> I just <laughs> had, had, a, had a challenge personally. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this before, but you know, it started with a problem, right? I had some health issues. I was living in New Orleans and um, mm -hmm. you know, going back and forth between there and Texas for work. And New Orleans and Texas aren't really known for healthy food, we'll say. Uh, yeah. Can you agree on that? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For uh, sure. Food is, is so tasty though, right? Barbecue, Tex-Mex, Cajun food, fried seafood, boiled seafood, grilled seafood, everything. And I ate it all. Um, I was working out a good bit. I've always worked out. I've enjoyed going to the gym since I was about 15 years old. And I would go, um, you know, just eat mountains of food, um, you know, for work events or whatever. And just wasn't really paying attention to what goes into my body. And I thought, hey, I work out once or twice a day. I'll be fine. I can eat whatever I want. Well, that turned into chronic acid uh, reflux, high cholesterol, uh, just like a lot of other issues. And anyway, go to a doctor. The doctor, you know, typical doctor in the U.S. prescribes me some medication and says, hey, take a couple pills every day. And definitely, you should be fine. This will clear it up. (laughs) Okay, I don't want to take pills every day. Um, Yeah. Went to a dietician. Uh, who said, hey, look, you just need to clean up your diet. You need to basically increase your protein and fiber intake because that's going to do two things, uh, increase your metabolism uh, as well as um, fill you up and uh, provide satiety uh, throughout the day. And I said, what will you recommend? And she said, I wouldn't recommend anything because it's all got junk in it. (laughs) And I said, well, why don't you just help me create a drink? And she said, well, who are you anyway? And that was the kind of the the genesis of Iconic. And I said, wow. okay, well, well, why don't you come on as a consultant and, uh, and, and help kind of design this product with me? And, uh, and really, it was just like, I don't know, I was so naive. I thought, how, how hard can this be? And how long will this take? Well, it's taken me nine years. I thought it would take me a year or two, honestly. Yeah. So what did the prototyping process look like when you brought her on? Oh, man. Uh, well, it started out with just a handwritten formula of like, okay, let's buy every other drink out there and see what's wrong with it. And a lot of it has artificial, a lot of these drinks, artificial sweeteners, artificial ingredients linked to cancer and other bad things and, and just yeah. great stuff. Um, and so we said, okay, like, let's do something high in protein, high in fiber, um, generally low, little to no sugar, um, additional functionality as well, some vitamins and other nutrients, and really just like a better protein drink that serves as like a breakfast or a snack during the day was was the idea. And, um, you know, we, we designed that drink and started kind of like working out the formula. Then I went and found a food scientist because I realized, okay, if this is going to be ready to drink because I wanted it to be convenient. I mean, there's a lot of powders out there, but powders not all that convenient that at the end of the day. And, yeah. um, you know, the food scientist helped kind of put it together and make sure it wasn't going to turn into sludge once we pour, poured it into a bottle. And then I had to go and find a co-packer. And I'll tell you, Cameron, that was like, those are some of the hardest times of the, this business was the, the first couple of years of figuring out how to make it, uh, where to make it, um, you know, <laughs> where to come up with the packaging, where to come up with the funding for that. I mean, that, yeah. that was a solid two years of, of just, you know, figuring that out. So at this time then, what was the first product that you launched? Was it one flavor or was it a line? It was actually one flavor. We had a, uh, okay. I did a test run of our chocolate truffle flavor. And it's funny, actually, the first flavor we designed was a, uh, dark chocolate raspberry. And I thought, oh man, this is going to be great. Right. And I thought it mm-hmm. tasted amazing. And it just, it was just different than anything out there. The problem is that when I started handing out samples to people, people said, ah, I don't know about this. Like I, I like that it's chocolate, but I, I don't love the other fruit flavor. Well, it's raspberry. Oh, I don't like raspberry. I like blueberry. So you get people mm-hmm. that are split on what they like and don't like and how they, maybe they like raspberry, but not chocolate. So anyway, it's okay. I get it. We need to do a chocolate. There's a reason yeah. that's the number one flavor in this category. So we said, okay, let's do a really good chocolate. 
And then um, I ran it into some Tetra Pak packaging. So just like the little drink boxes you see out there. The problem was that the first production run they generally do for you, they'll do a small run, which for a facility as small as 10,000 bottles of this stuff, right? And it's mm -hmm. all in white packaging. And it's okay, like, what do I do now? And they're like, well, now you'll go print a bunch of packaging and you'll run 100,000 cases. <laughs> like, have wow. they even sold any of this? Like, uh, come on, yeah, crazy. So I went and said, okay, let me get creative. Well, I decided I was going to hand label these 10,000 bottles with a clothes steamer and a shrink sleeve. Uh, wow. <laughs> so that was the first 10,000 bottles sold and sampled. And I enlisted the help of interns and I was at an incubator in New Orleans uh, called the uh, New Orleans Bio Innovation Center and their staff all volunteered to kind of help out. And so we had this whole assembly line of people with clothes steamers, like steaming on labels to these bottles. And then I was wow. hand delivering it to the back of grocery stores that I talked into carrying it and some other stores in New Orleans. And that's how we really got going. Yeah. Wow. So at this time with this um, kind of $10,000 first launch, did you acquire funding for production and in what form of investment? It was a real mix. Uh, I, I had put some money in from my other company, um, the, the entertainment company where we were doing New Year's parties and, and kind of saw that sunsetting. So I pulled some money out of that. Um, mm -hmm put some of that as seed funding as kind of my personal funds into, um, you know, this business of, of iconic and then went out and found some money. I said, okay, I, I don't think a bank's going to give me money for this. So what else can I do at the time? New Orleans had a number of, um, business plan competitions that had prize money attached to them. So I was able to, after bombing in the first couple, uh, and of course being petrified of public speaking, I just got over it because I wanted to see if this thing had legs and I was able to score a win at the Tulane business plan competition for $50,000 cash where they give wow. you one of these publishers clearing house checks. Uh, and then I won a couple more, one for I think another 50,000 of cash and services for Jefferson parish, which is outside of new Orleans. And then uh, one for 20,000. So it kind of picked up some money doing that call it 150,000 wow. in business plan competitions and, whatnot. And then I went and found a low interest loan program, uh, through this innovation, um, center, this kind of incubator I was in the New Orleans by innovation center. And that was $250,000. And I, I personally guaranteed that. And that was kind of a, a, a very sobering moment when you're yeah. sitting with the bank <laughs> signing paperwork, personally guaranteeing, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. So you can go see if this drink thing is going to work out. Wow. It's so for example, when you bring on, or when you have the competition money like that, do you bring someone on as a partner or do they count as an investor or is that just straight prize money? That's just straight prize money. No strings attached, prize money, give you the big check, then they give you Amazing. the check and you go deposit it and that's it. Wow. So you mentioned some of these smaller grocery stores near you at the time. I was kind of curious, through D2C, what does the shipping process look like since the drink contains milk? Yeah, so it's actually shelf stable. You don't have to refrigerate it. And this was a critical part. And one of the reasons it took me a while to figure this out as a newcomer to the industry, because what you can do is, is everybody's familiar with like milk products, right? They're in the refrigerator, maybe a, a 90 day shelf life max. We'll call that extended shelf life. Well, if you do a what's called low acid aseptic production, um, essentially they take milk or almond milk or any type of, of, of low acid liquid, which is kind of like a base liquid um, that will turn on you pretty quick if you just leave the raw ingredients mixed up 
Um, think about any kind of like protein shake or milk product. If you just leave it on the counter, it's going to go back pretty, pretty quick. Well, for this product, they heat it to the level of steam, rapidly cool it within about five seconds, drop it into a sterile container and seal it. And then you have a one to two year shelf life, uh, which is fantastic, right? Because yeah, that that's really amazing. waste and it keeps the taste intact. Got it. So what are your main forms of marketing, would you say then for the drinks? Uh, really, it's been a lot of sampling and word of mouth. I mean, we've tried other mm -hmm. things. I mean, everybody does, you know, you got to do the Facebook ads and other forms of Google ads and, and Amazon ads and things like that. And, you know, you can see decent return there. But I think yeah. in terms, you know, when I look at our best markets, they're still in Texas and Louisiana, uh, where I, you know, I started the brand and was doing the earliest pushes and sampling myself in the stores. And we really have a, a really supportive, loyal customer base there um, that loves our product. They know the story. And a lot of that was just grassroots marketing. And people will ask me, I had brand ask me the other day, how do you have such great signage in this uh, central market, which is a small chain, 10 stores in Texas, but they just blow it out of the water with velocity. And that means like just how many bottles they sell out of the store. And I said, look, that's, you know, we've been working with that store since the start of the company. Um, so that's, you know, six, seven years of hard work and, and nurturing those relationships in store. Uh, and I don't think there's a shortcut around that, you know? Yeah. So from there, what would you say is your primary demographic then? Yeah, we found that it, it skews pretty heavily female. Protein okay. drinks are typically for guys, right? You think muscle milk, um, things like that that are geared towards guys or ensure stuff like that. That's for older people. Um, our product has really resonated with the um, female you know, mom or young professional that's busy. She's health conscious. She's eating Chipotle instead of McDonald's. Uh, mm -hmm. or you know, making other healthier choices like that. And she wants something that's going to do more work for her and her beverage, right? She doesn't want extra sugar, um, but she wants something that's going to like fill her up and give her some type of benefit. And that's where we really won. And I think it's part branding and part taste. And those things have really resonated with, with women specifically. For sure. So from a consumer standpoint, what are the benefits nutrition wise then? Yeah, so it starts with the protein and fiber, right? The protein, you've got 20 grams of protein, which is about the same amount as a breasted chicken or a piece of fish um, or a, a wheelbarrow full of peas. Um, but essentially, it's it's going to fill you up. And the fibers, four grams of fiber from chicory root uh, that help uh, fill you up. And, and, you know, it's only 130 calories, so it's not a ton of calories. And that's why we don't say it's a, a meal replacement per se, but we say it's, we like to call it like a mini meal more of a yeah. breakfast or a snack and it provides that uh satiation so you can kind of stay a little bit full during the day um and then we actually have a caffeinated version as well one that has a full cup of coffee in it and that mm. has obviously an energy boost element to it um and then we're actually in the process of launching a whole new coffee line um that's going to be plant-based protein uh it's got some zinc vitamin c and vitamin d uh as well as mct oil so it's keto and immunity boosting. And we've tagged that immunity coffee is what we're calling that. Uh, and that'll launch in the next couple of months here. Amazing. So that new line that you're about to launch, is that going to be bottled uh, based is. as well? Yeah, it's going to be bottled. It, there'll be three flavors of that, a vanilla mocha and a dark roast. And it will be in a powder form in those same three flavors as well. Cool. Looking at Iconic today, what would you say separates your brand from competitors? Mm, great question. And I, I get it often, especially with retailers and, you know, potential customers and things like that. 
you know, the bar and the proteins uh, drink category is set pretty low for taste. Most of these drinks taste like cement mix. Uh, you may be able to attest if you've tried anything out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they're so sweet, they're nauseating or something like that. And that's unfortunate. You know, um, for us, we focus on really high quality sourcing, non-GMO, clean label ingredients. But at the end of the day, taste has to come first. It has to taste good or else like, you know, people aren't going to keep drinking it. And, and our goal is to fundamentally change the human diet for the better. Uh, and so in order to do that, we need to create uh, tasty, access- accessible, healthy products. And I think, again, it comes down to taste, it comes down to brand. Um, and those are the two big differentiators. Because um, look, somebody can copy our sourcing. They can say, oh, Iconic got their ingredients from here. They're high quality. They can rip us off there and other brands have. But mm-hmm. for us, it comes down to just you know our brand and the taste of the product. Amazing. What would you say is your top seller flavor-wise then? Chocolate truffle, followed uh, close number two by our cafe latte, which has the, uh, the coffee in it. We call that profi, protein coffee. Um, nice. Those are our top two flavors. Got it. Well, I like to wrap up each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret? Just anything. Be profitable. I was so focused on the just getting a product at the door. And, and I was, I'm more of a big picture guy where it's like, if you sell it, like eventually you'll be profitable. Um, you know, you know, we're, we've gotten there over time, but the challenge is like, if you don't hit it soon enough, then, you know, you got to be reliant on other people, whether it be banks or investors or whoever. And I've spent a lot of the, the company's time, um, you know, the, just pitching to people and raising money and figuring out, you know, how we're going to keep funding the business. And, you know, sometimes it's easy and sometimes that's hard. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that there's, there hasn't been enough of an emphasis, whether it be with tech startups or food and beverage startups on, you know, the value of being profitable soon enough. For sure. Well, Billy, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Iconic at drinkiconic.com. Thanks so much, Cameron. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.